your tech with soul this is the tech brother coming to you about a quarter after 2 p.m on august the 23rd 2023 thank you for stopping on in i know it's been a while since i've uh since i've been able uh, to do a tech brother podcast but i've had a lot of things going on at work been working on a really massive project um, that's due by the end of the year for compliance reasons at my nine to five job. So that's been consuming a lot of my time and all the work that comes in between that. Um, and then in my spare time, when I have time, some downtime, I've been reading up a lot lately on a lot of the newer tools. Um, I've been really trying to play around with some stuff. I, uh, I have a small license to the JetBrains all products pack. So if you don't know what that is, you should check it out. I've used Visual Studio for years. Um, I've used all kind of Microsoft IDEs for years, like to write code. But more and more as I get older, I'm getting more into the into the open source way of life and, and trying to find efficient ways of being a minimalistic developer, which is the um, which is kind of the name of this podcast, but it's minimalistic development. And being able to approach your development process in a very less is more way, which is what I do. So, but I've been playing around with JetBrains and 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 I love it. Um, I'm teaching myself Python right now. For those that don't know that, it's kind of written on top of C, and Python has been around since I think the '80s or something like that. And it's more of a statistical kind of scientific language for things like in terms of doing crazy arithmetic those long-running processes and things of that nature but but there's been a lot of work in around machine learning um uh, ml and artificial intelligence and artificial learning right using python so i've been kind of playing around with python and and seeing the different things because i'm uh I'm planning on on creating something as I kind of shared about a month or two ago. But so I'll give you just a bit more about it. It's uh, it's going to be kind of a combination API slash application. It'll be used for many different purposes. One of them is social media, but then there's many others as well. So I've been laying out the design of this in my spare time. I mean, and I've been having fun with it. Um, very excited about where um, where the idea is at now and where it's going. So um, there will there will definitely be more information to come. But I don't want to let the cat out of the bag too soon. 
got to make sure that I get all of the legal beagle stuff taken care of so that no one goes trying to steal the idea and running off, you know, the trademark and patent uh, way of life. So, yeah, your boy's doing it big. Um, I've been wanting to do this for years. And every time I sat down and I had extra time like to do it, life happened, family happened and things would just happen and come up. So I'm finally in a position where I can kind of sit down as a hobby and work on it and have some fun and learn a language and uh, process or languages, uh, let's just say. There's multiple languages, but... And that's kind of a good segue because development has morphed ever since I started in the game. I started really... I started learning about uh, computers. Let's go all the way back to high school between 92 and 96. Um, I took a lot of computer science classes and courses. My very first course was QBasic <laughs> from Mr. Randall um, there at Newton High School in, in uh, Newton, Kansas. And, um, and I loved it. Uh, the blue screen, the go-to statements and being able like, to create games or other different things. I was just intrigued by it. And even though I struggled a bit at first, I stuck with it because I had had a lot of experience already with computers. I used to read all kind of different stuff. So it was like for me to catch on like to QBasic, I just had to look at it in a little different manner. But what I want to talk about really is where we've come since the old school days of QBasic, Delphi. Oh, yeah and those, the client-server architectures, all the way up to now where we have the asynchronous model, which is like taking off. I mean, that's the way to do things. People don't necessarily like using a desktop anymore, and people like to consume REST APIs. SOAP is still out there, but a lot of people are getting rid of that. REST is the way to go. Easier, quicker from the uh, standpoint of a uh, development, but can also be trickier. I was uh, messing around at a work and I'm working on on something that that I'm interfacing with the MailChimp API and so trying like to do some things and so depending on the creator of an API right you're at their mercy however they decided to implement it and and however uh, uh, they decided to document it if the documentation is good then you're probably golden if not uh going to be spending some time in the lab friends and and so there's just a lot of different technologies out there now that were not out there that really helped to kind of expedite things. So I'm going to talk about all that. And then I'm going to talk about some of the do's and don'ts of it, because even though it might seem like you would want to go down that route, be very cautious and careful. And I'll explain why. But long time ago, as I was saying with QBasic, I started off with that, moved into Delphi. I was like, this is this is kind of cool. Obviously, the next step from Delphi was Visual Basic. Love VB. Did VB for years. Um, uh, VB4, VB5. VB6 came along. And around that time, everybody was jumping on the bandwagon. Writing in VB6 and writing COM and DCOM and doing stuff and creating your own DLLs, and, which is a library project now, and, and going through the DLL hell. I mean, that's my era where you had to go out and create your code, test it with your little harnesses, save it, compile it, deploy it with the REG SRV uh, command. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and if you screwed it up and if the DLL was out there and if you didn't unregister it, there goes the DLL hell. Having multiple of the same DLL out there, not knowing which one 
that uh, you need to unregister or keep registered. And if you start getting into a production setting, oh yeah, really got real then, right? <clears throat> so then the evolution of .NET came. It was amazing. Now, I don't want to throw no shade on Java because at that point in between all this stuff with Microsoft, Java at that point was Sun. They already kind of had it going and they had their own track. So there was two different types of developers. Either you were a Java developer or you were another developer. Because with Java, write once, run anywhere. That was their claim to fame. Not necessarily the same now, but that's, you know, they're trying to now, now that Oracle owns them. Um, so back then when you had to develop, there was a bit more groundwork that you had to do, right? So with, with, with the web services that we have like today, easy any language that you're in create a http request http response um uh, object and make uh, uh your api call wait for it to come back probably some type of async and await thing going on there read it whether it's xml json and then off you go but back in the day we didn't have web services we had things like sockets <laughs> We had things like RMI, Remote Method Invocation, and CORBA, Common Object Broker Request, I believe. I believe. That's all off the top of the dome, y'all. That's how we wrote our web services, creating stubs on both sides. Then the intermediate code written in Java at that point would actually send everything through sockets across the wire. Then the advent of HTTP came, and our lives got easier. Development got easier. But some of us were still kind of stuck in the old way. A lot of our organizations didn't really understand. They didn't really get it. They were afraid. They were afraid to actually take the plunge and make the change. So many people stuck with the batch scripts for so long, didn't want to embrace any of the visual languages like the VBs, C++, or MFC, Java, right? People just wasn't feeling it. .NET comes along. Different story now. Now that the large market, which is, which is Microsoft, I'm not going to say that it's the same now, but, 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 in the, but in the early 2000s, it was Microsoft, the whole Microsoft stack. That was commonplace in most businesses. If you were progressive, then you were kind of trying to play around with Java and different uh, technologies and things like that, because you just didn't, uh, you, uh, uh, you didn't want to pigeonhole yourself uh, strictly into the Microsoft way of life, right? You wanted to have some flexibility. That's what Java was, or vice versa. If you were in Java, that's what Microsoft was. So you move forward now and looking at how all these tools and technologies have, have matured so much, it's all because of one thing. The advent of the internet, the advent of HTTP, HTTPS, right? The advent of the web and being able to leverage the stateless web that has no state. The only state that it has is you create a request, you send it. The receiving server receives it, processes it. Then depending on if it is, if it is a synchronous call from the client side, then, then uh, the client is still waiting. Your code executes and then it sends back a response. Then it sends it back, right? Nowadays, it's like, oh, okay, well, 
Well, I'm going to do the async matter, the asynchronous way. I'm like, I'm going to go ahead and send you a request. You get to it whenever you want to get to it. I'm cool. You just let me know on this little thing that's called an event listener. When you get ready and you're done and you want to send me back a response and just uh, you can holler at me right there. The server in turn will get it. It doesn't know nothing about uh, that async. It doesn't. The client is smart enough now to kind of encapsulate that request and say, OK, just move on. Don't wait for that. And when it and then uh, when the server responds back, then it sends back its payload information, all that on your event listener. Now you can go ahead and continue processing your code as if. So in order to know how to go about trying to minimize your development, you have got to understand the technology. That a whole spiel right there was to show you where it was and where we've gone to and what it's going to take for you to understand that, you know, your mindset has to change if you want to become more minimalistic in your approach to your software development, your web development, your database development, your mobile development, enterprise development also, right? Um, you have got to get minimalistic in your approach. And the only way to do that is to, is to complicate or complex your development experience to, to try to get an understanding of how to do things, quote unquote, the hard way. Then go back and do your research and figure out how to do it the easy way. There's no clean way to do this. There's a lot of uh, places that will kind of look at white papers and different things that other places, organizations have done and try to mimic their setup, but then kind of conform it to what they want. That's the main way that a lot of people um, will go about trying to determine how to make their their uh, development process uh, minimalistic. But I think a lot of people, what they also do is, because they don't necessarily have the woman or manpower in-house to do this, or they can't hire anybody, they just start with Waterfall. Because with Waterfall, it's been proven, right? I hate Waterfall. But it's been proven that with Waterfall, you can just start writing code. You don't really have to know where you're going. Um, some people do want to understand that, but they really don't. They just want to get started writing something. So, and so now you have this concept of, okay, well, will you just get started and you take your requirements off a napkin or do you actually sit down and discuss it and figure it out first? I prefer the second way. It makes me very minimalistic in my approach to my development. For starters, I sit down with the people that are wanting me to do something, the business. That's how I will uh, uh, refer to them as. They say, what do you want me to do for you? They tell me. I don't understand things. I have them clarify. They clarify. I write things down. Then my project manager will write things down. He or she will also be like, okay, from a business standpoint, this is what the business people want you to implement. Great. I get it. It may be a couple, one, two, three point thing. This is what I want to do. Now, in order to make that happen, there's going to be a number of technical things that you have to do. For example, if they want to be able to, uh, let's say they want a report that shows all the sales for a given month. That's pretty simple. You sit down. What do you want on this report? Okay. 
Where is the data at? They may know that, they might not. Let's say that there's some data in, in one database and some data in another. They probably don't know that. What they see on the front end is that this is the report or this is the data that I see. Your job as the development team is to go through, take the business requirement and break it down into a technical requirement so that you can do all of the things to fulfill what that business requirement is asking for from a technical standpoint. This is where a lot of developers kind of miss the mark. A lot of developers just itching to write code. They don't care. They're like, I don't care. This is what they want. I'm going to build it. I think I know where this is. I'm going I'm to go after it. Most of the time, they don't really sit down and talk to other developers, their DBA and stuff. They just start writing code. They make a lot of assumptions. You know, I've never worked that way my whole career. In the whole close to 25 years now, I, I mean, I always enjoy the camaraderie of sitting down, talking to the business and understanding them and their needs, getting to know them and their personalities, right? Because a, a lot of people don't see that, but that actually makes your development very minimalistic. Long before the code, you have to, you have to sit down and understand your audience. You have to take time to actually know how to listen to them depending on the knowledge that they have to provide to you or depending on what they're doing, the knowledge can be portrayed differently. So you have to have the keen sense of being able to understand how people are giving you the information that you need. It is your job, developers, not the project managers. I always hear this. The project manager's responsibility is to take those ideas and put it into a business document or to put it into business speak that makes sense for the business. Business doesn't give a hot damn what it's going to take to build it. They just know, I want this. Your job, developers, is to figure out how to do it. That's why all these developers nowadays that want to come in and use artificial intelligence and these tools, I get that for AI, it's awesome. I get it, it's awesome. But some of y'all are as dumb as a box of rocks and don't want to actually get in there and understand what it takes to fully understand the underlying code. There's going to be times that you don't need to. I get it. And AI is perfect for that. But if you are a developer and if you're working with a business and if they are wanting you to get something out of a database and do statistical calculations, algorithms, aggregations, you, you know, yes, to a point, you may be able to create some AI that may be able to do this in the future. But again, we can't forget about that audience of things where it's very specific, where AI won't touch. And so what do you see? The biggest hustle since development. Typically what developers like to do is that if there's something that we don't wanna build and we'll try to find easy, quick ways of trying to like not write code and try to find you a solution that you can use in its place. Okay, that makes sense from a time and money and resource standpoint, it does. But if those things don't matter, and if accuracy is what's most important, which is 95% of most of the requests that I've ever seen, you can't fit everything into one shape or mold. That's what AI is trying to do. You're trying to create enough code that is aware of itself so that it can know what you're asking. So there's sometimes where a developer can build some AI into their applications so that the applications are self-healing. I'm a master at doing that. 
so that I can kind of anticipate what I think potentially could be asked for. Right. So there's some aspects of AI long before this became a buzzword. I've been doing that and machine learning long before this year and last year. I've been doing it about 10, 15 years ago. And basically, it comes down to sitting down, talking to the business and asking them what they want and not just coding what they want to spec, which basically means if they say I want ABC, then that's what you code ABC. You don't even think about, well, you know, potentially you can have edge case D or E happen or this potentially could happen G, H, you know. No, you just code exactly what they've asked. So for everyone that thinks that AI is this new phenomenon, it's not. It really isn't. Depending on the business and what they're asking for, depending on the technical folks that are going to build this, in between those two, the business will give you what they want. You can build it how you want to, and you can build it to be self-healing, self-reflecting, self-learning, right? It's all in how you build it. So these are nothing. And so it's like all of, all of these terms, they're really nothing new. It's just a new spin on it because now they have packages like chat GPT and all these other things that can actually go and do that. But at the bottom of that, somebody has to code the logic into the engine to know how to go after and create the logic that you want. So someone is doing the work. So, you know, it's like, and while that is considered minimalistic, it's not because it's one size fits all, right? So this is what this AI can do for you. So this is what you get. That's it. You want any more? I don't have that coded yet. That's not intelligent to me. It's not. That's not minimalistic either. It's minimalistic because you gave you uh, you gave the business something, but it's not truly 100% what they wanted. So in my brain, you never fulfilled their requirement. So that's why I think it still takes some developers to get in there, roll up them sleeves, turn off the phones, sit there and take a look at the code, read up, understand the technology, see what's going on see how it will work for you there will always be a need for a developer always there will not always be a need for someone in business always right and i say that because at some point when when the developers get smart enough or when the companies get smart enough that they can go and explain right to developers this is what we want you can code people out of a job so you have to be very careful there's a delicate balance there right i've seen it happen I've seen it happen where uh, they went from having people that would do manual things to having all automated. The staff no longer needed to be augmented. They cut it by half. And it was a clean running company. It ran smooth, right? Unfortunate now for the business folks, there wasn't a need for them, right? Because in that particular, um, what am I trying to say? In that particular area of business, there wasn't really a lot that having a person employee could really do that wasn't a developer, right? Their business was pretty straightforward. But when you get into having the different paradigms and different requirements and different things, depending on this workflow, that workflow, that's where it can get very complex. So for you developers out there, okay, now we're going to get into the meat and potatoes of this here. So when that comes your way, Right. Like I said, you can be very complex in your thinking. You can over engineer and you can do all that. Right. I've been there. I've done that. Especially. 
when I was young and I first started out. I wanted like to build these whiz bang things and I wanted like to use this technology because it's great for no reason. I never used to look at the correlation in between using a .NET Core for creating a web app that's calling an API versus a WCF from a C-sharp 4.0.NET framework app, right? Well, for people that know with web API, .NET Core is geared more towards you allowing to interface and write code to connect to web services quicker. .NET framework wasn't really geared that way. There's other things that are under the hood, obviously. It's not just that, but that's a very fundamental change in that language. When you, and when you look at it, it's more of kind of a subset of the framework so that you can get up and running fast. There's so many web frameworks out there and different things of people creating scaffolding. Web API, that was definitely one of them. Already using artificial intelligence at a low level to create all of kind of the proposed hooks and different things in the code that you might need to create a web service. And then it got even snazzier when you oh, oh, when you take an ORM. So now you have uh, your database and you link your database into a .NET framework or some other type of engine to create models based on your database. So it's smart enough to say, hmm, you have these tables. I think if you create this object, then you can go ahead and commit this object into the ORM entity framework. There's other ORMs. I don't know them all, but I've used entity framework a lot. And then it can make your development faster, right? But again, if you don't understand what Entity Framework is, if you don't take the time to sit there and do it the hard way, like for me, the hard way was I would go into, at that point, this was when I was using VB6, where classes and collections were a, were a big deal. You create your class object. And then after that, then you would create another file that would be your collection of that class object and then they would have all of your different functions or methods in there you know like uh, you could uh, do a get you know an insert update like a crud basically a create read update and and a delete and so now uh, when you look at that and you look at the dotnet framework right because i've used that a lot now you can like uh, create a, a simple class a poco a plain old a plain old common object, right? Um, it's just really simple, like probably less code than what it took before when you had to do all your getters and setters, all that. Now you can just do it in an abbreviated fashion in C sharp. So you can have a class object that's probably four or five lines long, obviously. Um, of the more attributes and different things that you have than the more lines, but you know, so the 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 technology has advanced with the growing need, with the growing change of these folks being able to go in and reflect more using their own technology to do things to make our lives easier. So uh, you developers, you know, when you want to go about it in a minimalistic way, I think first and foremost, it doesn't start with the languages. It doesn't start with the code. Sorry. It starts by you putting on your ears, sitting down in a room and talking to the business. Because it's not one size fits all. While I love AI, I'm not a fan of it because depending on what the business wants, the people that actually write your check, they could want something very specific that AI cannot do. 
you could use AI to, to partially get there, but at some point you're going to have to know how to actually do some development. So many WYSIWYG developers, so many workflow developers want to do a drag and drop on stuff and do the linking, all that stuff of data fields and mapping. And we call that programming. That is from a database like perspective, but still understanding and knowing how to get in there and write code, I think is still important. Not that you're going to write it, but just so that you understand, okay, I could implement something like this to achieve this requirement faster than doing it this other way or doing it this way. That's where I think there's a good balance in having a good minimalistic approach to your development. It starts with understanding the requirements. Then it, and then after that, like the second thing is choosing the correct tools. You know, for years I've used Visual Studio. I've used Eclipse. I've used other IDEs. I've used what, like I've used Xcode. I've used all kinds of things. And so right now I'm testing out JetBrains, particularly Writer, PyCharm, WebStorm, PHPStorm, DataGrip. There's one more. There's one more. Aqua. That's for testing, right? And I'm trying just to see that. Yes, I've used all the all of all of the big time tools. Now I don't have the big time money to buy a license for like the Visual Studios of the world. So that's where you see these jet brains and people like that who make money off of actually creating an offering that's affordable for the development community. I appreciate you, JetBrains, a lot. Because I'm sure in the hell not going to pay $699 a year for some license that I might use sporadically for like a Visual Studio. Hell no. Not for the things that I do. Not for the things that I do. Now, there's Express versions and all other different kind of things. No. Now, the Visual Studio, or not Visual Studio, um, is it? Yeah. Uh, Visual Studio Code. I love it. I love it. Microsoft should have went that route a long time ago. But they really wasn't into the service game up front. It was more just into like a whole bunch of different products that all do different things. And then they tried to slap and, and mod them all together. No can. Went back to the drawing board and then they thought about the microservice concept and techniques. SaaS. And hosting everything in the cloud, SaaS, iSaaS, PaaS, all that. What can you use in the cloud now to actually help you get things done on a desktop? And as you've seen, it's crazy. The different things that we've done with the advent of Azure, AWS, and being able to remote run things, right? And being able like to set up uh, these microservices and do different things. SSH, you know, like there's a lot of there's a lot of low level and different things that have been out there for years that people are just are just eagerly eating up right now. Nothing has changed. It's just people are becoming smarter and they're finding a more efficient and better way like to do things. That's the name of the game developers. Depending on who you work for, depending on your shop and what you do. It comes down to time, money, resources, you know. If you can't afford like to go off and get uh, Visual Studio, go for it. If you're doing things in Microsoft, go for it. But I would suggest that you look at a Visual Studio Code 
does pretty much the same things. It just takes a little different type of learning and developers understanding more of the command line. A lot of developers are lazy. They want to see pretty windows and then they want to see little things that tell them where to click here. Real developers know that uh, the meat and potato of it, get in there and do stuff uh, with, with the, with the uh, command line. And when you get into these newer technologies like Node, Angular, um, um, React, Go, you know, um, there's a lot of these that actually sit on top of NPM. Well, actually, you know, and you can basically use NPM to actually install different things. The pseudo on the Mac side, right? Now people are like, hmm, rather than us having all these damn applications that you got installed, let me just go ahead and create a package type manager. And then you can go ahead and install the latest version of that. And that'll point to all of the latest and greatest versions of all the tools that are compatible with that. Recently, I've been kind of trying to play around like with Node. And so I absolutely love it. Not just being able uh, to write Node on the uh, client side, but, e uh, but even like, being able uh, to write Node on the uh, uh, server side. Now, running JavaScript on a server was never a concept that in my day was something that was even possible because with JavaScript, it was a client side only technology, right? It was a client side only technology. So with the advent of web services, REST APIs and different things like that, and being able like to write smart enough JavaScript frameworks and packages, they figured out a clever way to actually run this on the server side. Now, if you look at Node, Node is the most used, it is the most used middleware out there. Now, a lot of people will disagree that, you know, it's great, it's not great. Yeah, it does have a one thread um, non-blocking type of architecture. I get it. You know, a lot of people think that having multiple requests to hit something is better. Not necessarily. There's nothing that I'm aware of that does not have some type of queue-based mechanism um, in it. Your operating system, uh, whether it is Mac OS, iOS, Windows, Linux, there's something that basically will look at everything running and queue it based on need of resources. Some apps will still be running, but they won't necessarily be active, so they don't necessarily need memory. You don't see what's at that C level, you, you know, but I can tell you right now, I can tell you right now that when you're looking at uh, doing things with threading and with resources, when you're, and, and uh, when you're coding in a C-based language, every piece of memory is critical, it's crucial. So you got to make sure that if you need memory, you take it, you use it, and then you deallocate it and send it back. That's how all these newer technologies are. They kind of are the same manner. Node is great because you can call into Node. It'll queue up all of your requests, right? Uh, the V8 version, and it'll just run everything, and it'll return you things back on your own event handler. Now, in the grand scheme of things, if you were to do a client server, uh, let's say a client server application using some type of web technology, you pick, it doesn't matter. You have a form. They fill out form. Hit a button. You post a form. It goes to server. It does what it does. It returns you back a response. Maybe. 
in terms of if it's a get a post if, it, if if it's a patch update or else if it's if it's a delete it might patch you back something different but the bottom line is that you have a client and a server that that you uh, that you got to worry about there there's code on both sides that needs to be written in a certain manner and so that each can talk to each other now you introduce node in there you don't necessarily need to have a form per se you just need to understand where your elements are that are on your uh, web page consume them and create some type of response or uh, uh, some type of re of a request in xml which a lot of people don't use or json which a lot of people use nowadays that's the new transport for sending things over the wire to things like a node.js to these web services rest apis right nothing wrong with xml it's just you have the complication of the dom in there but with json it's just straight text depending on what side you're on you go and find your parser and figure out how to break that json down but with like uh, things like a uh, newton soft and there's like so many of them right you know it's easy enough like for you to ingest a string and convert it into some type of j object and then you can just start to traverse it that way technology has gotten better because us developers have gotten smarter we've been digging for so long and we've been continuously doing the same damn things every time repetitively that we're just sick of it now we're writing our own frameworks and we're writing our own different ways and trying to to kind of create all these languages that can create its own ml and so that we don't have to sit there and do it consistently it could be that you implement something that has some ai in it that does the bulk of what you need but for specific things you call out into custom functionality that you write right it all depends on what the business is asking for it all depends on what the project is asking for but you have to have that mindset that you have to understand everything at your disposal to know how to be minimalistic in your approach so for me at work i use the atlassian tools a lot of jira and confluence i document the hell out of stuff inside of confluence and jira i put everything out there uh, that i need user stories task all that stuff right that is my source of record nine times out of ten good developers know that if we spend more time talking about things and breaking it down on a whiteboard when it comes to writing the actual code on average on average you can cut days out of your development because you sat down and you talked about things at nauseam and you figured out a clean way to do it most developers just will go off and make a copy of code, re-implement something, and tweak it, and then that's it. That's piss-poor design. That is bad. And if you're doing that, shame on you. The name of the game is reusability. Write it once so that you can include it in the future so that you don't have to rewrite everything. It's about your approach, friends. So many people are like, well, I'm using Node, I'm using Python, I'm using this or that. That makes me an efficient developer. The hell it does. It doesn't make you no smarter that you know that stuff. What makes you smarter is when you know where to use that stuff. That's the key right there. If you notice, you know, as much as I can talk about the technologies, how you do this and consume this object, inherit this, abstract that, that really doesn't matter. There is a technology, there, there are technologies that should be used at different times for different purposes. AI, AI will not necessarily be able to help you with that. Not yet. It's far from it. That's why we will always need developers. 
because developers created AI. So that basically means that if you just look at it from a basic logic standpoint, if developers created AI, AI still needs developers because without developers, AI can never be. There's some AI for you, right? Stop thinking that all these cool buzzwords and you creating something that has a semblance of it makes you a great developer. It makes you minimalistic. It does not. It makes you conformist. That's for sure. Right? You have to understand the technology. Doesn't mean that you have to write all of the long, arduous functions, algorithms. No, you need to understand how they were written. You need to understand what went behind that. Because when you go implementing something new, you can use AI, great. But if you're doing something custom, see what other people have done. That's the whole principle behind object-oriented programming, creating objects that you can inherit from and you can tweak and change to your liking based on whatever contracts or different things or business rules you need to implement. So many developers don't even know what I just said. They just know, well, there's objects and stuff. I can go ahead and I can do it, but they don't really understand why. Take away all the decorations on classes and different things that you have to put on there using, you know, if it is if it is uh, being um, implemented off of an interface, remove all that stuff. If developers don't know, if, if uh, you don't understand the concept of object-oriented program, if you don't understand the concept of a technology, then you will over-engineer every time. That's why I pride myself, right, on not just pigeonholing myself into only knowing the .NET side, which that's what I've mainly done my whole career is is just that. But I also not but but it's like but I also know Java. I know how to do web stuff, desktop stuff. I love doing database work. I know Python, Node, all these new web frameworks. I've implemented stuff in Angular, in jQuery, Bootstrap. I mean all these things I've used. And they all are the same. You include them somehow, whether it's npm or you, or else you include it as an include file in a script tag, include file as an inc, whatever, as a module, right? Like as an import, a namespace, right? People have been doing this for years. <laughs> We've been doing AI for years, but we just never knew it. People have been writing modules so that they can make your code writing easier. So if they have created these modules to make your code writing easier, don't you think it's high time that you actually stop and figure out, hmm, let me try to stop and see what's what's at my disposal instead of rushing and going to what you know, making copies of stuff and doing it that. No. Don't you stop, listen to the business. So actually pay attention in the meeting, right? Don't talk all the technical speak to them because they're just going to look at you with the deer in the headlights, like, what are you talking about MFC? What are you, what do you mean? No, in your mind and amongst your constituents in your field, in the technology field, you discuss, okay, this requirement sounds like this would be a good candidate for X or for Y. We could potentially do Z, but you know, it really depends on this or this or that. And you know, to really be smart, and minimalistic, right? Look to consistently try to extend your current architecture. Write code that is reusable so that 
when you continue to move forward with your development, you can be minimalistic in your approach. Don't go reinvent the wheel, right? Where I work, I have tried to implement that and it's really working now, right? We have, like, we have a library of, we have two different libraries. One is for functionality, for, you know, uh, things that we do in code. So kind of like a bunch of, of, uh, of uh, uh, common objects. And another one is for strictly for reporting, right? Depending on where you fit in there, there's a lot of the base code which has been written to allow you to do things. I wouldn't say it's artificial intelligence quite yet because there's a lot of specific stuff that uh, was asked for. But it's a framework that allows us to go from the design and requirements to production fast. Like before to create an SSIS would take a, a week or two get in all of the requirements after you get all of the scaffolding in, do your functional testing, then you test with business, right? Now, there's an engine that runs all that in SSIS. So now all we do is we just write a couple of nodes, we plug them in, we test the whole thing, or we test what we want, done. I already created the package. I already created that architecture. So you don't have to reinvent that, right? That's the kind of smartness that you need to be minimalistic. Right. You're going to have to start somewhere and you're probably going to take a good six months to a year to try to collect and create your own architecture to actually help you be minimalistic. Right. In terms of code, in terms of processes, though, how you approach the business, how you talk about things, how you design things, one and the same. You got to make sure that you're keeping some type of documentation, Visio and Confluence, whatever tool that you use, keeping it updated. Working with your architects, right, and making sure that they have an eye as to the future and what and what uh, the organization is trying to do, where they're headed, right. A lot of a lot of developers do not tap uh, their architecture uh, folks. They don't tap those architects. Why? I have no idea. I worked with a good one. His name was Kiyoshi. He was he was excellent. And then uh, there was another one, Mike, when I worked at uh, Hawaiian. A uh, shout out to those guys, you know. Before we did anything, we would always sit down with the architects. We understood the business, okay? We got all that stuff from the business analysts. But the BAs, right, their job was to actually talk to the business folks, understand that. The tech guy's job was to talk to the architects that also knew about what the BA had got from the business and laid out, okay, with our architecture, this is the way I think that we should go. Because if you start to manufacture and create a bunch of code on your own, right, you're definitely not going to have any type of architecture that's going to be scalable. You're going to have a lot of what I've seen a lot in my career, the old copy-paste architecture. The same damn objects, the same damn code is running 100 different places, but every last one of them tweaked just a little different so that they're all unique. So if, some, so if you find at the core at the core that there's something wrong in your logic. Rather than just changing one place and being done because you wrote it properly, now you gotta go into all those instances and change it. A lot of developers don't do that, they get lazy. And then what you have over the course of time, yeah, is job security, yeah. But you also have a lot of downtime. You have a lot of upset customers, i.e. the business. You also cannot scale your business and be able to actually accommodate your clients, your customers, quick, easy, and efficient. 
I mean, everything involves the potential of a rewrite. Everything involves the potential of confusion, having to reinvent something that you could have made simpler and just inherited from that and just kept it moving, right? Before you want to get into writing code, friends, you got to understand what it is that you're doing. That's imperative. It is. A lot of y'all thought that I was going to talk about code languages and which one to use. Yeah, I could have went that route, but there's too many frameworks out there right now. There's too many. And a lot of things are geared more towards the web right now. The web is the new desktop. Even some desktop things, Silverlight, things that I've written in like that. You know, the WPFs of the world all feed off of the web, off of some type of connection to the Internet. So, yeah, I mean, depending on what shop you are, right, you could be a Microsoft shop, you can be a Java shop, you could be a Linux shop, you could be open source shop. Right. I feel for the open source folks because they have so many options. But the thing with that is that it changes so often. So and so if you work in a shop like this, it's critical that you're working with your architects on the daily. On the daily, because these things change because a lot of them are still in beta. And they're still finding bugs and they're still working things out. But a lot of these things are open source. They're free. But kind of like uh, the Google model, right? They sunset things early and often. So sometimes, you know, from a business standpoint, what makes sense to go with what's tried and trusted or to try to be on the cutting edge? I mean, that's really up to your business and what they want to do. But your job as the technical side of that is to offer your honest opinion as to what is proper, not just because it's what is right for you or what's easy like for you. It's easy to augment your staff and find people that can do the things that you want to do and learn from them. Consistently stay learning new things, friends, because for all my folks that were in like the IT game back in 96, like to 2000, because I graduated college in 2000, I can tell you um, the landscape then of the way that we do development from, from the desktop and web, light years, totally different. And I had to be a chameleon and I had to consistently learn new technologies. Yeah. But the more and more I got into my career, I started to understand that it's not really the technology that matters. It's the people. Right. It's the people. It's understanding what they're asking for. It's understanding how they're communicating to you. It's understanding the context of the business. What are you in business doing and what is it that's trying to be achieved? What model or models do you need frameworks to set up to support that? Not in terms of technical stuff, but just the thinking, right? So many people quick to write code. Don't do that. Think about it. Talk about it. What I found when I switched over to that model where I don't always just get into writing code, because for the first two, three years, that's all I did. They got requests. I went on. I, I banged it out. I, I've always designed stuff in Visio, always, for as long as I can remember. So I always would, I would have to have some type of drawing just to help me see it. Right. But sit down and talk about these things with the business. And then after that, take it back in house and talk to the tech team. Your architects have them there and try to look at the long term vision. Don't just look at the short term hit. 
or the short-term gain, you know, sorry, the short the short-term gain of implementing something. If it doesn't fit within the architecture that you're trying to create and grow, think it through. I know there was an architectural review board at a number of companies that I worked for. And before you wrote anything new, you had to go through that board. They would tear your design apart, right? Because so many people at that point was not thinking about having a reusable code model. They just wasn't thinking about it. That wasn't something in their psyche. Now, more and more with the advent of Azure and AWS and distributed uh, computing, object-oriented programming, right? And doing a lot of things with uh, reporting data and being able like uh, to understand like other uh, star schemas and, 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 um, you know, and all of these things that, that actually relate back to the underlying design, the functionality of not just the solution that you're building, but the data that is within that solution. All that matters now. Now, instead of you doing full-on development, most developers actually spend their time writing a little bit of code, doing more configurations, because so much has been written out there. Now, that's not to say that you can't get down and dirty and write your own code. Hey, I'm all down for that. Where it makes sense, get down and do that. But if it doesn't make sense, think it through. From a cost standpoint, you know, to go and have all of your developers on something that you can achieve by downloading a DLL or using something like that, is it worth it? You know, but at the same time, take the time to learn that. Don't just gloss over that. Learn as much as you can, developers. Right? No, with AI, it will not get rid of your jobs. <laughs> You are just fine, but consistently stay learning new things. Don't get lazy in this new day and age of the cloud and think you can just go ahead and plop something out there and then you're good to go. Have a backbone, y'all. I'm, I'm imploring you, have a backbone. It is definitely worth it. And for the idea or concept of minimalistic development, right? Make it what makes sense to you. If it's just you and you you know and you don't have any any other team if you are the team make sure that you create a process that can get you from requirements to coding to production in short order because time is money and if you're the only resource you got to make sure that you maximize don't just do a hodgepodge of technologies but make sure that your implementation makes sense and if you're on a big team that's distributed right think it through offshore models onshore models that doesn't matter as much as uh, as much as trying to understand what is the vision? How can you put it together? Right. Look into design patterns. Try to follow them. Like for me, I love uh, uh, the broker pattern and the single responsibility. Those two. Right. And the reason why is because uh, for security reasons. Right. Don't forget about security. That's why you get your architects involved. Making sure that you have one point of failure in terms of security, because especially if you're transferring and pushing a whole bunch of data back and forth, that's critical. Got to make sure that, you know, you you know your entry points. You don't need no data leaking out. Right. So there's just all different kinds of concepts. Everything is different. I can't sit here and tell you all of the different permutations because there's just too many. Use your best judgment. 
And when you figure out what it is that you need, find the tools that will that will make you efficient in trying to get things to the delivery phase to be actually delivered. But at the same time, you're learning something new. Don't get into the whole of the chat GPTs and all these AI things. Don't fall into the trap, friends. You still need to know what you need to know so that you can be the best and make sure that you grow. One love as always, y'all. This is the Tech Brother.